It's good to be with you today in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the chance to gather together in your name, Lord, to gather freely to worship you. And we say, great is thy faithfulness. There's none like you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we get to see the testimony of sisters like Paige and Jordan in Believer's Baptism, Lord. Lord, and I pray if there's anyone here who has not followed you in, in, in obedience to Believer's Baptism, Lord, I pray that they would be, that they'd find the courage to do it just like Paige did, Lord. And I pray that, that all of our lives would bring honor and glory to you. Lord, now as we open your word, Lord, teach us, Lord. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Break through whatever else might be in our lives right now and give us a fresh word from you, Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is our prayer in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you would take your Bibles and open them to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 today in Matthew's gospel chapter 5. And when you get to Matthew, 5, Matthew chapter 5, if you're able, would you please stand in honor of God's word? That when I'll know we're all ready to begin. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Words that Verses that will be very familiar to many, maybe most who are in the room or can hear the sound of my voice, but I pray that we'll be anointed in a new way upon us. So hear the word of God for the people of God this Lord's day. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now may God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, friends, here's a good word this morning. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Your your pastor preached an awesome message on Revelation 18 last weekend. And I know that, that you are all ready for him to preach, preach Revelation 19 when Jesus comes back. But that's going to have to wait. 
because he and Donna are away. I know that you, I know that you are ready to hear that because, because I saw last week that, that immediately after the service, a couple of people were tweeting things like, I can't wait till pastor preaches on Revelation 19 next week and Jesus comes back. And I was like, oh no, they're going to be disappointed because <laughs> I'm coming. But praise God, Jesus is with us and we worship him. Hey, just a quick word, too, about this fight for your family uh, that's, that's an opportunity for families. I just really want to encourage families to, to take part in that, to engage in that, sign up for that. Uh, listen, as, as the president of Union, uh, I can tell you that, that, that it, is, it does make a difference when, when parents disciple their children. Listen, this church is incredible, has incredible ministries to help support you. But as parents, it's our primary responsibility to disciple our children. And I don't want you to miss that. Grandparents, let's engage and pray for our, our children and grandchildren. But parents, I hope that you'll sign up for that because it's so important. Well, these verses in, in Matthew chapter 5 that, that we read today, you know them as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes paint a comprehensive picture of what a follower of Christ looks like. We, we first see in the Beatitudes this, this person who is alone before God on his knees, acknowledging his spiritual poverty, his brokenness about that spiritual poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that that spiritual poverty leads him to be meek and gentle in all of his relationships because honesty compels him to be before other people what he confesses himself to be before God. Yet he's far from giving in to his, to his sinfulness. No, that's not what he wants. Instead, he hungers and thirsts for righteousness. That's what he wants to be about. And so our testimony as Christians in the very simplest terms is this. I am a sinner saved by the grace of Christ's perfect sacrifice. And, and next we see this individual out in the community loving and serving in the name of Jesus because, because his relationship with God compels him to go out, not to be insulated, not to withdrawn, but to serve others in the name of Jesus. And so he's in the thick of it. He's in the middle of things, showing mercy to those who have been battered by adversity and sin. Maybe you even see him or her at Bellevue Loves Memphis ministering serving in the name of Jesus. He is sincere in all of his interactions. He's, he's playing a constructive role in his family and in his, his businesses and in his community as a peacemaker. But, as we'll see today, he's not always thanked for his efforts. Instead, he is opposed, slandered, insulted and persecuted on account of the righteousness for which he stands and the Christ with whom he is identified. Such, Jesus said, is the man or woman who is blessed. 
And by blessed, what we mean is those who have the approval of God, who have the abundant life in Christ. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is telling you and me how to love God and how to love people and how to share Jesus and how to make disciples. This is how the followers of Jesus are to live. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer The German theologian said, with every beatitude, the gulf is widened between the disciples and the people, and their call to come forth from the people becomes increasingly manifest. What what he's saying is that, that, that you see here in the Gospel of Matthew that there are always crowds around Jesus. There are always crowds. In fact, in this scripture, it says that Jesus, seeing the crowds, departed from them, went up on the mountain and sat down, and his disciples came to them, and and he taught them. And, And this is what happens when we even gather together as believers. We come, and we worship together, and we're encouraged, and we're equipped. But the whole reason that we come to be encouraged and equipped is so that we can go out from here and serve and love in the name of Jesus. But the the reality is is that as we are more identified with Jesus, and as we live more for Jesus, and as as our lives are conformed to God's Word, what happens is, is we look less and less like the crowds and more and more like Jesus. Our heart's desire, the reason we spend time studying these sentences, is so that we can be marked as followers of Jesus. You and I want to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ by living as he taught us to live. And I also want you to remember that that these words are always also an invitation by Jesus. You see, Jesus knew that even though he was talking to his disciples, there was a crowd that was not beyond the hearing of his words, and it was always, Jesus was always calling them to himself. By the way, one of the things I love about coming to this great congregation is that there are always people who have found their way here who are ready to believe. And if you came here this morning ready to believe, today can be the day of salvation for you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It may seem strange to you that that Jesus moves from peacemaking to persecution. That Jesus moves from the work of reconciliation to this expression of hostility. What he wants us to understand is this, however hard we may try to make peace with people, some will refuse to live at peace with us. Not all attempts at reconciliation succeed Indeed, some people take, a, take the initiative to oppose us, and in particular to revile us or even slander us. But I want to be clear, it's nothing in us. It's for righteousness' sake. It's on account of Jesus that we are persecuted. Some people find distasteful the righteousness with which we're trying to live our lives. The the reasons that we're hungering and thirst for righteousness are foreign to them. They think that we're odd. Have you noticed that? People think Christians are odd or worse. For example, because we say that, that we believe marriage is between one man and one woman for a lifetime, they say we're hateful and shameful, and bigoted. And in steps Jesus and reminds us, 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Some oppose us because they have rejected the Christ we seek to follow. And I want you to understand that persecution is simply a clash between two irreconcilable value systems. The value system of the kingdom of heaven and the value system of the world cannot be reconciled. You're either going to be in one or the other. And I want to be clear about this too. You don't get persecuted for hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You get persecuted for being righteous, for being pure, for being merciful, for being peacemaking. That's why you get persecuted. There's something different about this beatitude. Did you notice it? It's two sentences instead of one. It's a double beatitude. It has the distinction of being the only one that is a double beatitude. It it starts in verse 10, and Jesus uses the third person like in all the other beatitudes. You see there in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus does something else. He changes it to the second person, and he repeats it in a little bit stronger way in verse 11 when he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Since all the Beatitudes describe every, what every Christian disciple is intended to be, we conclude that the, the condition of being despised and rejected, slandered and persecuted is as much a normal mark of Christian discipleship as being pure in heart or merciful. And just to make sure we don't miss this, Jesus turns to us, He looks us in the eye and says, blessed are you. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. He does it four times in verse 11. Every Christian is to be a peacemaker, yes, and every Christian is to expect opposition. It's interesting. Some people say to me, you know, you, you just are enjoying Christian privilege. Anybody ever tells you that? Interesting. They say, you know what, these words are not even relevant anymore because of the Christian privilege that you enjoy. To them, I say what I say to you, persecution is relevant. It's very relevant. I want you to know that my answer to them is that these verses, as are all in this of God's Word, very relevant and not at all outdated. The first reason that I say they're relevant is from a global perspective. In 2,000 years of the Christian faith, there have been 70 million brothers and sisters in Christ who have been murdered for the name of Jesus. And 45 and a half million of them, or 65%, were murdered in the last century. Persecution is very relevant. 
to see the danger that exists in the world today, we might want to talk to Chinese house church leaders who are continually arrested and threatened by the Chinese Communist Party. Or we, we might want to talk to our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. For years now, Boko Haram and the Muslim Fulani militants have killed, kidnapped, and sought to cleanse parts of northern Nigeria from, Christian, from its Christian population. Estimates are that 60,000 Christians have died in Nigeria since the year 2000. Many people call it the silent slaughter in Nigeria because it's so hard to get the media or any governing authorities to pay attention to a modern-day genocide that is happening even now. On August 17th, not even two weeks ago, 25 of our brothers and sisters in Christ were murdered in Nigeria because of their faith. Persecution is relevant. Why is Nigeria important? Nigeria is important because by 2050, it's going to be the fourth largest country by population in the world, behind India, China, and the United States. You know this, but I want to remind you that persecution is real. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ face death all day long because of their belief in Jesus. Or take just one example from China. Chinese authorities arrested more than 200 members of the Early Reign Covenant Church in China, including their lead pastor and his wife. In fact, as we were waking up and getting ready for church some months ago, 200 of our brothers and sisters in China at this church were arrested. Early Reign Covenant Church is one of the best-known unregistered house churches in China. China AIDS says the crackdown started as as authorities showed up to members' houses that Sunday morning and arrested them out of their houses. Officials arrested the pastor, Wang Yi, and his wife. And Pastor Yi is now serving a nine-year prison sentence in China. He wrote a declaration about this called, My Declaration of Faithful Disobedience in Response to the Persecution. In part, he says this, I accept and respect the fact that this Chinese, this communist regime has been allowed by God to rule temporarily. At the same time, I believe that this communist regime's persecution against the church is a greatly wicked, unlawful action. As a pastor of a Christian church, I must denounce this wickedness openly and severely. The calling that I have received requires me to use nonviolent methods to disobey those human laws that disobey the Bible and God. My Savior, Christ, also requires me to joyfully bear all cost for disobeying wicked laws. He goes on, regardless of which regime I live under now or in the future, as long as the secular government continues to persecute the church, violating human consciences that belong to God alone, I will continue my faithful disobedience. For the entire commission God has given me is to let more Chinese people know through my actions that the hope of humanity and society is only in the redemption of Christ. Those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Praise God for that. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. 
This is true. When I think of this, he says, the Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief toward those who are attempting to and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me, that he'd grant me patience and wisdom that I might take the gospel to them. Separate me from my wife and children. Ruin my reputation. Destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life. And no one can raise me from the dead. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the eternal living God. He died for sinners and rose to life for us. He is my King and the king of the whole earth, yesterday, today, and forever. I am his servant, and I, and I am in prison because of this. I will resist in meekness those who resist God, and I will joyfully violate all laws that violate God's laws. The Lord's servant, Wang Yi. Praise God for Pastor Wang Yi. And I pray that you and I, brothers and sisters, if we ever find ourselves in jail for the cause of Christ, that we'd be able to pin the exact same words. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the least that we can say is that from a global standpoint, the words of Jesus are very relevant and indeed very precious for the millions of our brothers and sisters who are under the constant threat of violence or surveillance. Hear me on this. Safety is not the top priority of a Christian. Faithfulness is. Or we can think of Andrew Brunson, who was imprisoned in Turkey. You likely know his story well. He and his wife, Noreen, served in Izmir, Turkey for 23 years, loving and serving and caring for people in the name of Jesus. He was the pastor of Izmir Resurrection Church. He and his wife had, been, had felt like that they'd been called by God to establish permanent residency in Turkey, that they had been called to live out the rest of their lives in Turkey. So they had gone to the government and made application for permanent residency in Turkey an incredible act of service and obedience to the Lord. And so he wasn't surprised on October 7, 2016, that he was called to government offices. He thought it might be word about their permanent residency status. Instead, when Andrew Brunson went in, he was arrested, and he was charged with spying and terrorism and trying to overthrow the Turkish government. He was kept in a jail cell with 21 other prisoners in a jail cell that was meant for eight people. Praise God, in October of 2018, he was released from jail after being held for over two years. And you know what Andrew Brunson said? Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Andrew Brunson testifies that every day he was in jail, he would go over to a corner of the jail cell and he would remind himself, he would recite again to himself these verses that we're studying this morning, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. And then just to make sure that his 
physical body was matching his spiritual condition, he would dance saying, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Even in prison. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we've seen examples of brothers and sisters in China and Nigeria and of an American serving in Turkey. But I want you to know that it's not just in China and Nigeria and Turkey that people are persecuted. Isabella Chow was a student at the University of California, Berkeley, and one of only 20 members of the student senate there. During the fall 2018 semester, the Cal Berkeley Student Senate was bowing to political correctness by passing a resolution opposing a move by the Trump administration to assign the biological and original legal meaning to gender of male and female. And Isabella Chow, a young woman, stood up and she abstained from voting yes but she wanted to make sure she explained her vote, and this is what she said. I have said and will always say that discrimination against or harassment of any person or people group is never, ever okay. My God is one who assigns immeasurable value to and desires to love each and every human being. In God's eyes, and therefore my own, every one of you here today and in the LGBTQ community is significant, valued, wanted, and loved by God and by me, even if and when our views differ. Jesus only had the deepest love and compassion for all who came to him. I hope that my actions and words, in addition to the relationships you and I have cultivated together over the past couple of years, have only demonstrated the same depth of love and compassion. She goes on, that said, I cannot vote for this bill without compromising my values and my responsibility to the community that elected me to represent them. As a Christian, I believe that certain acts and lifestyles conflict with what is good, right, and true. I believe that God created male and female at the beginning of time and designed sex for marriage between one man and one woman. For me to love another person does not mean that I silently concur when at the bottom of my heart I do not believe that your choices are right or best for you as an individual. In closing, I again affirm with all my heart that each one of you in this room deserves nothing less than respect, acknowledgement, legal protection, and love, no matter your beliefs. I humbly ask that you extend the same respect and acknowledgement to my community as we continue this dialogue together. The Christian community is here to love and serve this campus in the way we know best. Thank you for your understanding. And please feel free to reach out to me at any time if you want to discuss this or anything else. Now, how do you think that turned out? Her political party ousted her. Several campus groups condemned her. The student newspaper, the Daily Californian, attacked her, called for her resignation, and refused to allow her to publish any response. More than a thousand students signed a petition accusing of her of hatred and demanding that the university expel her. Many denounced her at a large campus meeting. Her senior recital was canceled because of security concerns, and it goes on and on 
and on. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Last month, in my role as president of Union and the university more generally, we're attacked because we hold to a biblical view of sexuality and we rescinded the admission of a student engaged in a same-sex relationship. I got a lot of email. I want to read a portion of the first email I received. I say a portion because I deleted all the expletives. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt that your university has the legal right to flail your religion around, but you are not free from the eyes of judgment, and there is much judgment going on right now from this story. It's about to get messy, so you might want to figure things out. Fix this, sir. Fix it fast. The stain of this will taint your legacy. Let me be clear to you and everyone in the sound of my voice. The only thing I want my legacy to be is faithfulness to Christ and to His holy word. Listen, there's a temptation to believe. You face it and I face it. There's a temptation to believe that if we can just communicate our beliefs in the right way, if, if we can just appear to be as nuanced as possible, then those on the other side will see us as good people, as reasonable actors. It doesn't work. We're tempted to think that, that finding the right tone will, will resolve the underlying tensions that exist when Christianity confronts the world with an ethic that they don't want to hear. Listen, we're not in a battle against flesh and blood. We're in a battle against principalities. People are ensnared by this stuff. Their eyes are blinded. How do we know? We once were too. But praise God, we are free now. And we're walking with Him. Listen to me. Be gracious. Please be gracious. Be winsome. Please be winsome. Be civil, yes. Be polite, of course. Be kind, absolutely. Don't ever be anything less than those, but you have to understand that if you are going to live for Christ at some time or another, you are going to bump up against this world. Your kindness... Your careful communication, your beautiful nuance is still going to get you in trouble. No amount of niceness or winsomeness is going to pacify the voices who will hate you because of your Christian values. So persecution is very relevant. And that leads to the second point today. And that is this, all Christians will be persecuted. My reason for saying that is taken from the words of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, which says this very clearly, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How does Paul make such a sweeping statement? He makes it on the basis of this conviction about the nature of Christianity and the nature of 
of the, of the world. He's convinced, as we should be, that there's such a tension between the message and the way of the life of Christians on the one hand and the message and the way of the world on the other that conflict is going to be inevitable. That's rooted, by the way, in the fallen nature of humankind and the nature of a new creation in Christ. We see it exemplified as page in baptism, right? Buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. Praise God, we are not as we once were. And praise God, we're being sanctified day and day to be more like Christ. And praise God, one day we'll be glorified when we're with Him. And we will be like Him. Sooner or later, someone who is living a deeply Christ-centered life is going to be mistreated for the things that he believes for the things that she believes, at some point, if you love Christ and live according to His Word, you're going to be mistreated for the way you live. These words of Jesus about persecution are very relevant today, not only because millions of Christians around the world are being persecuted for their faith, but also because to one degree or another, all of you who are serious about putting God first in your family, in your home, in your career, in your work, in your school, or in your leisure time are going to bump up against some form of opposition sooner or later. Listen, there's a scale of persecution you should understand that. On one end, it's really easy to see, right? When we see or hear about brothers and sisters who are murdered for their faith, it is very clear that's persecution. And when people are, are physically harassed or they're arrested in prison, it's clear that that's persecution. But there are also people who lose their positions of authority or their jobs because of their faith in Christ. And there are other people who, who lose friendships, maybe even family members because of the way they live for Christ. And there are other people who, who get hateful emails from people because of their stand for Christ. But there are other people on this other end where people are just rolling their eyes at you because of the way you live for Christ. Or they're, they're calling you a Miss Goody Two-Shoes or whatever they want to call you because you won't go along with whatever it is that they're doing that doesn't follow God's Word. The, the sixth grader who is trying to live her life for Christ in middle school, who speaks up for Christ and who gets eye rolls, is just as much persecuted as the one who is killed because the, the, the desire, the objective is the same thing. The objective is to get you to stop following Jesus and to stop obeying his word. That's the whole point of the persecution, for you to give up on Jesus and for you to give up obeying his word. So since we're all going to be persecuted, let's dig in just a little bit more on this teaching of Jesus in the time we have left. First, I want us to focus on why the persecution comes. Now, just a quick reminder about the structure of the Beatitudes. There's two groups in the Beatitudes. There's the first four and the second four. And the first group ends with verse 6. You see it there in your Bibles. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The second group ends with verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes. That's how you know there are two groups because they end with this righteousness. And there are three beatitudes that lead up to hungering and thirsting for righteousness, right? And those beatitudes are this sort of holy emptiness that we have. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's a holy emptiness. Blessed are those who are mourned. Yes, we're mournful. That's an emptiness. Blessed are those who are meek. That's an emptiness, which leads us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then notice the next three are these sort of holy filling of us because we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You see, this is a holy filling. And then that ends with blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, the whole point of this, of bringing this to you, is because we're talking about, we have to understand the reason for the persecution. What we learn from this is, is that, the, 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 that the reason for the persecution is righteousness. And I want you to understand this, that true righteousness always involves a relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot be righteous apart from Christ. You simply cannot do it. There will be people telling you, well, if you just live a good life, if you're just a good person... That doesn't work. You can't do it. You need Christ. You need Jesus. Somebody say amen. Amen. Jesus himself said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. The mercy and the purity and the peacemaking that a disciple of Jesus does comes from Jesus. Because without Jesus, we can do what? Nothing. Nothing. And by the way, it comes from Jesus, and it's for the honor and glory of Jesus. Your righteousness is not about you. It's about Jesus. It's to exemplify Him. It's our, it's our attachment, our relationship with Jesus that causes us to be righteous. And it's our attachment to Jesus that, that gives our righteousness its direct character. When you desire to be godly in all of your relationships, in the way you go about your, you go about your life, when you follow the righteousness of Jesus, when you're doing these things to honor Him, to bring glory to Him, there's going to be two things that happen. We know this because Jesus told us. There's going to be two responses, and they're in John chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And the first response you see in John chapter 3, verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. That's one possible response, hating the light, not accepting the light, rejecting Jesus, People who reject Jesus are going to become persecutors. They're going to roll their eyes. They're going to call you names. They're going to slander you. They may go after you. Ultimately, they may physically attack you. They may even kill you. But that's the condition of those who are in darkness. And there's another response. It's in verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's the other possible response. Here's good news for us. As we live righteously by the power of Christ, for the glory of Christ, some will see and come to a relationship with Christ. They'll step out of the darkness and into the light. Praise God. 
That's why we're going out there. That's why we're loving and serving in the name of Jesus. So you're either going to persecute Christians or you're going to become a Christian and be persecuted. I know it doesn't sound very hopeful. Thanks for the amen. But it should. It really should sound hopeful to us. Don't let that get you down if you're a Christian. Please, don't let that get you down. No, don't let it get you down. Because here's the point I want you to remember, is how Jesus said we should think about this. It's verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus said, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It it, it sounds first like a shocking piece of counsel. Rejoice and be glad. Go over there and dance in the corner of the prison, Andrew Brunson. Rejoice and be glad because you're being treated just like the prophets of old. And make no mistake about it, Jesus does have death in view here. He says, even if you have to face death, say rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. That's what they did to the prophets, he said. I pray you'll look it up this week in your study, in your Bible study time. Go to 1 Kings chapter 18, read read that. Go to 1 Kings chapter 19, read that. Go to Nehemiah chapter 9, read that. Go to Jeremiah chapter 26, read that. Read about the prophets of old. Hear what happened to them. See what's done to them. Even the the disciples who are there on the hillside, they're all going to die for their faith in Jesus Christ. He knows that, and he still says to them, rejoice and be glad. And he says it to you and me as well. What? What justifies Jesus' counsel to people who are in pain? Jesus knows because he knows beyond any shadow of a doubt that the reward of heaven is going to more than compensate for anything that happens to us here on earth. A thousand times, a million times, a trillion times, think up any number you want, nothing's going to compare to the reward we'll have in heaven. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you didn't get more for not, if you got more or got the same for not suffering as suffering, wouldn't we all choose not suffering? Yeah, we'd be silly not to, but that's not what Jesus says. In all of the history of humanity, from Adam and Eve to whoever is the last born, there is only one who has been sinless and whoever will be sinless. His name is Jesus Christ. You can clap for that. It's okay. But hear me. In all of human history, from Adam and Eve to the last person who is born, all have suffered, even God's own Son. And His word to you and me, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Jesus' will for His disciples is to to desire the reward of heaven more than the reward of this world. Jesus' will for His disciples is us, for us to have our treasure in heaven, not on earth right? Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. No, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus' will 
for his disciples is that your heart and my heart would be so set on heaven that to leave this earth is a cause of rejoicing. But no, make no mistake, while we're here, there will, be, there will be tears, there will be difficulty, there will be persecution. As Paul said, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Even Jesus himself sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane in the face of his own pain. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Praise God. Jesus' will for his disciples is for us to have our hearts primarily in the kingdom of heaven, our, our hopes primarily in the kingdom of heaven, our longings primarily in the kingdom of heaven, our joy primarily in the kingdom of heaven. There's no other way you can rejoice and be glad with the persecution you're going to face. So what shall we do? How do we keep our hearts focused on the kingdom of God? Well, let me suggest a couple of things to you. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is to make a regular practice in your Bible study to consider the prophets of old. Why? Jesus said to do that right there in verse 12. Consider the prophets of old who were persecuted and, and killed for their righteousness. For, for their righteousness. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 through 38, and read how by faith they suffered mocking and scourging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were literally cut in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about as skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. And the Bible says of these men and women that the world was not worthy of them. That's the way we want to live our lives. Go off into these great men and women of faith and get inside their hearts. Join them in the jail. Put yourself in the jail with them and think about how you can love heaven even in the midst of jail. Read the testimonies of people who have given their all for Christ. If you don't have a copy of it in your home, get a copy of John Fox's Voice of the Martyrs and read the stories there. Get on Open Doors USA and, and read modern-day stories of persecution and faithfulness. Look to the prophets. Look to the martyrs. Whatever you do, get your mind on heaven so that you can persist. You can obey the commands of God in the present. By God's grace, by God's grace, few, if any of us, will face death for our faith. But hear me, we will, though it may be a lesser persecution, we will face challenges and persecution. And even for that, even for the eye roll, you're going to need courage and commitment that only comes from understanding that God has called you and me to this time and this place. It is no mistake that God has you and I right here, right now, to serve his purpose. And so I want us to stand up, and I want us to speak up, and I want us to live up to the word of God. We need to, to, to learn to speak the truth in love, not just, not necessarily because it might work, but because Jesus commands us to do it. 
we got to strive faithfully to educate and disciple our children. That's why things like fight for your family are so important. We need to disciple our children because the world is trying to disciple our children in very different ways. We need to protect the vulnerable among us. Yes, we need to be out there serving. We need to proclaim God's vision for what human flourishing does look like. But to do that, we are going to have to risk our friendships, our reputations, maybe even our careers, maybe even our lives. Even still, I pray that the cry of the people of Bellevue Baptist Church, I pray that the cry of God's people everywhere, everywhere will be what Jim Elliott said, who was martyred in Ecuador almost 65 years ago. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We love you, Jesus. And we're so thankful, Jesus, that, that we live in a place where we face so little persecution, Lord, but, but we want, Lord, to be strengthened, Lord. We want, to, we want to be people who are your disciples, who hear your word and who heed it, Lord, who, who not just hear it, but who do it. And so I pray that you would strengthen us, each of us, that we would joyfully endure whatever persecution comes of our way because of the righteousness and the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that families would be strengthened with one another. I pray that, that people who need to join with the faith community would join with Bellevue. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today who is ready to come forward and say, I want to walk with Jesus, that they do so. Lord, you are so good. Your word is so powerful. And we thank you for everything it is to us. We pray all of this in your precious name. Amen.